0: Are you ready to challenge the rhetoric? Today is Wednesday, May 16th. My name is Sherry Roberts, and I'm your host on Challenging the Rhetoric. Welcome to the show. If you care about your privacy... And if you care about your safety, particularly from online predators or if you yourself are an online predator that's participating in making false claims about others, doxing them, cyber or gang stalking, cyber harassment or other things that are harmful and things that create a dangerous environment for others intentionally. Uh, And you think it's okay, you think what you are doing is legal and that you are somehow immune from any kind of repercussions, or if you've been a victim of these tactics and crimes, tonight's show is for you. Also, if you think you're safe from the stuff that we're going to be talking about tonight, this show is also for you. Because no one, no one is safe from digital deviants who are turned on, literally turned on by this sort of behavior. My guest tonight is Frederick Lane. He is one of the leading cybercrime forensic experts in this country, Frederick is a frequent guest on both of my shows, challenging the rhetoric and sickness of silence. It's always great to have him along for the ride, and his expertise is, is always more uh, more than appreciated. I mean, he's uh, one smart dude. He's also uh, just a really nice guy, and so you know, being able to engage with him in conversation and share that with you and the delivery that he gives, uh, you're going to appreciate that if you've not heard Fred on the show before or on something else. But before I bring Frederick on, uh, let, me, let me give you some tools to help you engage with us here tonight. During each live broadcast, you can interact on the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash and on Twitter at Newsfeed. Uh, for tonight's show, we are using hashtag CTR always, and then uh, in addition to cyber stalking and specifically YouTube. Uh, all the stories I cover are available on the website at challengingtherhetoric.news. You can chat with us in the chat room, interact, and ask questions. The chat room is at blogtalkradio.com forward slash challenging the rhetoric with Sherry Roberts, that's C H E R I. Click on show number 31. The chat room will appear right beneath that little slider. If you're already on that page and you don't see the chat room, just hit refresh and then scroll down. If it's still not there, I don't know what to tell you. Take it up with Block Talk Radio. It should be there. I'm seeing it. It looks live. There are people in there. So the rules of engagement for the chat room are as follows. This is always, always on my show. It's a dialogue, not a debate. There's no personal attacks. There's no over-aggression or trolling that that is tolerated, period. I have no problem bouncing you out. So um, go in there and listen, talk. Interact with the people there, ask a question if you have one, but please be civil, please be respectful. Uh, the show is PG 13 so keep that in mind that includes the chat room as well. If you're listening to an archive obviously you cannot uh, participate in the chat room because it's not live. so all right here we go Everyone that uses social media or pretty much anyone, uh, you know anyone that uses any kind of an online platform is subject to that platform's terms of service. So that's in addition to all the state and federal laws that prohibit certain actions and and or behaviors, you know. So this includes what you do on blogs, websites, crowdfunding sites, YouTube, and and so on, even the comment sections. Okay, even the comment sections on those are also covered by each platform's terms of service. Again, in addition to state and federal laws. So in other words, there you know, there's, there's laws and there's rules. Okay, so for instance, many YouTubers think that they can use other people's content if they credit it and or or self-proclaim it to be public domain or falling somehow under fair use. Obviously, they don't know what any of those terms mean because there's a lot of infringements um, and other things happening. And I encourage if you are on YouTube to please go actually read all of your terms and service and your community guidelines because this is not only untrue according to like real copyright and public domain and fair use laws and guidelines, it's also untrue according to YouTube's own platform rules. YouTube says with regards to copyright that you agree that content that you submit to the service, meaning those videos that you make, will not contain third-party copyrighted material or other material that is subject to other third-party proprietary rights unless you have permission from the rightful owner of that material or you are otherwise legally entitled to post the material and legally entitled to grant YouTube all of the license rights to that material. So when you use something of mine or you use something of someone else's, you are giving YouTube full rights to something you don't own and you didn't have the rights to use to begin with, not only for real lives, but YouTube's terms of service. So let that be clear. Now I bring up copyright and YouTube first tonight because many of the people who participate in online harassment of others often do so while using that person's own work. And they do it without their express permission, and they do so in part to draw that person and that person's followers and their, whatever previous haters they may have had to their channels or their pages or their blogs or whatever. And it's often kind of the first line of attack for people that participate in this this bullying of sorts. And um, once they garner that attention and make you aware of it or make people around you aware of it, because they, you need to be aware of it for it to behoove them, because that is what really ultimately garners the attention they're trying to seek from it. So regardless, but here's the deal. Regardless of their motives, let's say they don't have ill motives, okay? Uh, Using someone else's copyrighted work, it's illegal, okay? It's also litigiously actionable, so just be clear on that. But when it comes to the nefarious things, you know, um, that's pretty much how the show is going to go from here. We're going to talk about making false claims, including false police reports to law enforcement. Uh, We are going to talk about cyber stalking, cyber bullying, and other forms of online harassment like doxing. If you don't know what doxing is, that's when it's uh, it's a document dump basically, and that's when somebody goes and seeks out by cyber stalking you and everything that you've done in your life and going and putting up your personal information, including home addresses, phone numbers. And they don't usually stop with you. They go deeper into your family. And it can include your children, including the minor ones, and your workplace, and so many other things. So uh, this is a very important conversation tonight, because the people that are doing this, uh, more so than the people that are victims of this, the people that are doing this are ignorant. Uh, They think that they're somehow on the right side of the law. However, they're not. And uh, the guest tonight is going to talk with us about some of those things, as we have time, um, you know, we won't be able to talk with every specific little detail of everything. But we're going to get into, you know, these different things. Um, you know, is it, is, is it illegal? Is it, is it legal? What, what is? What isn't? There's lots of different um, aspects to this. There are very real threats that happen to people. There are things that have happened historically where people have been physically harmed, not just reputationally, not just emotionally, uh, or their own mental health and duress. Um, you know, or not even just with job losses or, or stuff like that, but real physical harm. And there's a reason that this snowball effect occurs, and that's where a lot of the real hard legalities as far as how they're, the people that do this are wrong and and where they're really going to be seeing problems, and in many courts across the country, we're seeing different aspects of this start to roll out as things are being kept up with with technology. Um, So because we're talking about, uh, and I want people to understand this as we're talking in case some of the language that we use tonight, uh, it's kind of a glossary of sorts, so here's a word for that so when we when I or maybe Fred uses the term about like interstate or even saying interstate commerce uh, for instance, and the legality of the particular issues that we 're talking about. That is what would technically apply uh, in a court of law with regards to things that take place online because it's it's as bad as if you were committing a crime and then crossing state lines and committing it elsewhere in another state um, in the cyber world, and that can go beyond and even into international and international laws, some are similar, some are quite different than those in the United States, but um, it originates online. So you have federal laws and state laws, and then obviously, as I pointed out, the individual platforms' uh, terms of service uh, that you agree to, and they have their own repercussions for that. So um, I'm going to jump right into bringing my guest on the show tonight, and he's been here before, Frederick Lane. Again, he is one of the leading cybercrime experts in this country, cybercrime forensics. Uh, this guy, you know, if I if I want, you know, if I wanted to hire Fred. I can tell you all sorts of stuff about you and what you're doing to people in that sense or he can tell me lots of stuff about how to go about finding that stuff so I want to bring Fred back, back on right now Fred thank you so much for joining me again on Challenging the Rhetoric
1: Sherry sure, it's a pleasure thank you for inviting me
0: um, I I, uh, it's it, we had such a hard time connecting <laughs> you know this week and there was <laughs> some stuff going on in both you've been really busy uh, really busy since last time you were on the show so um, I appreciate
1: yeah, I the have, time
0: actually. tonight. <laughs> I'm in
1: a, No, I'm in for a real, I've been watching. In... <laughs> I, I go ahead. I said I've been <laughs> in a motel room down in West Virginia doing computer forensics, so
0: Well there you go. What well, what else would you be doing, Fred? <laughs> but you know, I let me let you um and I know that the people that have heard you on the show or heard you on the other show on SOS before, I know that they're aware of your credentials, so to speak, but um, if you could just briefly give a, a quick rundown on why you are an expert for what we're going to be talking about tonight to the listeners.
1: Sure. Um, it's sort of hard to distill it all down quickly, but I'll, I'll take a shot at it. Um, probably the leading credential in terms of what we're talking about tonight is that I've been working with computers now for almost 45 years uh, in one form or another, uh, and really have uh, have traced the entire history of the personal computer and, and the Internet. Um, so I have a, a pretty deep familiarity with how all of these systems work and how they interweave. I think part of the reason that you um, found me and, and were interested in speaking with me is that Um, beginning about 15 years ago, I began writing books about law and technology and how they relate to each other. And so uh, one of the things that um, I've been focusing on is this issue of personal privacy and how we deal with the concept of personal privacy in the Internet era. And, And as you explained very well in your introduction, it's enormously challenging because we have so much vulnerability when it comes to our personal information and it really doesn't matter who you are. You can be Jennifer Lawrence, you can be some waitress in a town like, oh, Morgantown, West Virginia, for instance, and you are equally vulnerable because the internet has its fingers everywhere and people with more time than sense will often sit down and devote themselves to attacking individuals and extracting information from them. And it's very challenging to protect yourself. So um, my, my focus over the last several years has been to try to educate people about the risks of digital technology and hopefully give them some practical pointers about not how to eliminate the risk because that's not realistic, but realistically how to minimize it and and strike a good balance between using this tremendous resource and not overexposing themselves.
0: Well, right. So let's let's start with um, you know you you you're a regular guest on my other show about childhood sexual abuse and and at, you know kids being at risk in different scenarios. And one of the yes. things that you you talk about on that show is for parents about not you know, not providing an online present for their children until a certain age, basically. And again, I, I want to jump through a lot of things to build up into all these other things. So if you can briefly address that, because I know there are parents or people connected to kids that are concerned about technology, especially with this type of cyberbullying and cyberstalking that's going on that, that's really apparent in the world now. So can you explain about what you mean by not creating an online presence for your infant and your, your child until they are at a certain point?
1: Absolutely, I think Sherry, that this is one of the most important things for parents to think about because the, the the temptation and and i've seen this with friends and family members the temptation when kids are born these days where, where you know a smartphone is no more than a a, hand, a hand's distance away is to record so much of their lives and put it online and that Causes at least two very clear types of problems. Number one, it it usurps their identity in the sense that uh, it, it basically it's the parents defining who that child is because the parents are the ones who are choosing the photographs that they think reflect the personality of the child, and it, it makes it much more difficult when the child is older to establish their own identity because they've already got, you know, maybe 10 or 12 years worth of photos and funny comments and things like that, that the parents have used to project what they think the child is. So that's number one. And then the second problem is, you know, kids because of peer pressure and honestly, because they see parents online all the time are very eager to get online themselves. And, Oftentimes parents, and I think this is particularly atrocious, parents will allow their children to lie or even assist them in lying about their age so that they can get a Facebook account, so that they can go on Instagram, so on and so forth. And not only is that a bad message to send to a kid, which is to say, you know, basically, it doesn't matter what the rules are, we're going to let you get around them. You wouldn't do that for a seatbelt, for instance, or a drug drug restrictions or things like that, Um, I realize that people don't see them as equivalent. But honestly, in terms of the kind of harm that can result, I think that they actually are. And there are well-documented cases of people using, obviously, photographs of young kids in inappropriate ways, but then also uh, trying to interact with uh, pre-adolescent or even adolescent kids when they're online and still learning about how to use these social media sites. So my, my general advice when I go out, and as you know, I lecture to school districts, I lecture to parents groups all over the country, my general advice is that parents should be trying to figure out what I call the least feasible technology. That is to say the, the, the technology that barely lets the kid do what they need to do, but nothing more than that. So, you know, a good example of that is, yes, they may need a cell phone in order to schedule pickups and and let you know the parent know where they're going and stuff like that, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they need a smartphone um, at least until they've demonstrated that they're responsible enough to use it and I absolutely think that's true with respect to social media. I think well before parents agree to sign a child up for social media, they need to have numerous conversations with the child to feel absolutely comfortable that they know that the child will use it responsibly and they're aware of what the both the benefits and the risks are.
0: Right. And I want to point something out to the listeners. A lot of the work that Fred does is very positive in the nature of everything that we're talking about tonight and everything that Fred and I uh, discuss on the other show and, and on previous uh, Challenging the Rhetoric shows. But Fred specifically teaches people, He's he's got a series as well called Cyber Traps, and Fred teaches basically a series how not to become entrapped in different behaviors which was what was uh appealing about me specifically having him on here tonight because like for instance there are a bunch of youtubers that i've seen uh some of them have attacked me but what has been uh interesting to watch is not only have they these two factions began attacking each other but each other within their factions and it seems that they're hanging on to well and i think you know i mean that's that's like it's like playground, it's like elementary school playground stuff, but it, uh, unfortunately, the content, however, is not. And um, and so what we have going on is what I've seen as a common theme lately is the accusations of pedophilia and child pornography, and um, some some factions that say, "Aha, you're you you do this stuff," which. I don't think so, but what they try to say is that – and we're going to prove it because we downloaded some, meaning they downloaded – and child pornography. And so if you've never heard Fred on the show, one of the other expertise that Fred is and an expert witness is has to do with child pornography and I, I would challenge you to find somebody smarter than Fred on this issue in this country. Fred, can you please explain to people that are out there thinking that they have an aha moment and they're downloading child pornography and publicizing the fact that they're doing it and what that really means for them, please?
1: (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> what part of confession don't you understand um... <laughs>
0: <laughs> there's like no excuse you can't say you're doing it because you want to provide it you can provide a freaking link right uh,
1: absolutely i mean look you're absolutely right Sherry. i think you know people people really need to understand that that any depiction of a minor engaged in sexual activity or or frankly even nude is the equivalent of, of electronic plutonium. It is incredibly dangerous stuff. And, you know, you alluded to it, but I, I spend, you know, a lot of my professional life working with criminal defense attorneys. I've been doing it for 15 or 16 years now. I mean, that's what I'm doing down here in West Virginia. And the the law enforcement folks simply do not care what your your... Your gracious, glorious motivation may have been that you know you're you're not entitled to become a vigilante with respect to child pornography. Law enforcement does not want you doing that as a matter of fact, one of the things that people really need to understand is that the the Adam Walsh Act, which was passed back in two thousand two two thousand and four, imposes incredibly strict limitations on how that material can be handled. And today is a good example. When I wanted to go in and take a look at the evidence that is being used to prosecute the individual of basically for whom I'm working. I mean, the, the public defenders hired me. But in order for me to go look at that evidence, I have to go to the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force Basically explain what I'm doing, be very clear about precisely the work that I'm going to do, and then do that work in their office, and then I have to leave at 430, and I would be criminally, li- criminally liable if I removed any of that evidence for whatever purpose. So even if I thought that I had absolutely clear-cut evidence of the individual's innocence, you know, some great piece of evidence... If that happened to include any image of a child in an inappropriate setting, then I would be criminally liable as well. This stuff is radioactive. And so anybody who does something like that is in violation of federal law. They're probably in violation of state law as well. The mandatory minimum sentencing under federal law is five years for receipt and possession, so two separate crimes of child pornography, if that in, if that information is then forwarded to any other individual, you are now engaged in distribution of child pornography. Um, it is just a snowballing effect. So this is very, very stupid stuff. And then on top of it, of course, you run the risk of interference with any kind of federal criminal investigation, potential obstruction of justice, the list is really endless. I mean, the the U.S. criminal code is a stack well, of right. And liability.
0: I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, uh, I wanna add to what you were just saying about um, obstruction of justice. Okay, so if you're participating in this and you're listening, or somebody tells you about this show, um, or what Fred just said, I mean, we're talking like. Prison time, people. Okay, you you have no right whatsoever to participate in downloading. That is not your evidence for anything, right or wrong. Uh, but the the reality here is is that people are doing this all the time. And when you're talking about um, you know, the criminal statutes and stuff like that for for these sorts of things, and and you're talking about the resources, or where you, you started to allude to the resources, but you haven't gone there and that's the part I want to add, is that not only mm. are you obstructing, potentially obstructing justice, but by making false claims, okay, any false claims to law enforcement, whether federal or local or county, and you're making false claims about somebody as part of your little, you know, social media kick or whatever it is, okay, uh, that makes you tick on that you are taking away. So let's talk about, you know, with regards to the resources that you are taking away to save children. You say you want to report this stuff or you care because they talk about a kid or whatever the case may be. When you're doing that stuff, you are taking away uh, eyes and dollars and everything else from actual resources. And, And oftentimes when it comes to any kind of sex Crimes, what's deemed a sex crime, whether it's for an adult or a child, those get some of those smallest budgets, right, Fred? I mean, the resources are well, not as, and when they're and they're redirecting them and misappropriating them that way, uh, it's very harmful. It's beyond just obstruction of justice. There's people that may be losing their lives, children.
1: Well, sure, and I'd, I'd I'd frame it a little bit differently, Sherry, honestly, because I I think that it is correct to say that law enforcement budgets are under strained in a lot of different ways. Uh, you know, obviously there's true, a huge true, true. number of issues that, that law enforcement needs to cope with. There are a couple of things that, that cut a little bit against what you were saying. Number one, um, we've put a huge amount of money into Homeland Security, um, for better or for worse. I mean, don't get me started on the Patriot Act. Um <laughs> That has helped with law enforcement budgets, and on top of that, as someone who works in this field, and this is actually a warning to anybody who might be engaged in the kind of activity you're talking about, the one budget item that tends to get very, very well funded is the child protection line. So basically, the federal government has put enormous resources into fighting child pornography, and that has flowed downhill to the state and county and local organizations as well. So, you know, they are well they
0: better, are yet. Very, better yet. That means there's absolutely. a yeah, that means yeah. there's there's a more microscopic uh, eyes watching the people that are doing this very thing we're talking about.
1: Right, but the other point is that your listeners need to take away is that there's a very well established infrastructure for dealing with child pornography crimes. So if someone is engaged in that, if someone is downloading child pornography, if someone is then effectively redistributing it by posting it online as an example of someone's misbehavior, what they don't necessarily understand is that the feds and the state police departments around the country are well-equipped to deal with that.
0: So, Let's let's maneuver out of this, but segue from specific what you're said because some people, back to uh, YouTube blogs uh, and that sort of thing, uh, social media is still done there. Um, but when it's a real platform that it, that can be monetized, and monetized doesn't mean just through the platform. Uh, a lot of YouTube shows and blog shows, like my own or whatever, can have private sponsors that are. Uh, you know, it's not a per-click thing or, or whatever. Um, you know, so there's there's a lot of uh, you know leeway in what monetizing actually means in the online world in that sense. So when we have people that are participating in this, so let's let's stick with the the, the example of somebody accusing somebody of being a pedophile, publicly confessing in YouTube videos that they have downloaded now they may be lying, but they've confessed that sure. they've downloaded child pornography to use as evidence. And So when they're saying that to somebody and their whole purpose in saying that to them is to get them to shut down their YouTube channel or their blog or their other website or whatever the case may be. Now we're talking about coercion and extortion and stuff and it's an an interstate crime because it's a federal crime being on the Internet. Um, So how does that work now, Fred?
1: Well, you just summed it up very nicely. I mean, basically, if you're...
0: But you're if the you're expert. Making, <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, but but you did you did a great job, and it's clear you're developing your own expertise on all of this. But um, you know, making threats of violence, making you know claims of criminal, allegate, you know criminal behavior, um, may or may not be criminal depending on the nature of what they're doing, but it is absolutely a a civil violation. You know, assuming that there's no truth to the allegation, um, then it it constitutes defamation, it constitutes libel, uh, possibly intentional infliction of emotional distress. Um, There you're making – it depends on how it is handled. So, for instance, Sherry, if someone takes this material knowing that it is false and they then um, go to the police and file a false claim, that's a different thing. But if, they, if they're exercising their quote-unquote speech rights and they go online and they make these statements, then really you're restricted to a civil response in which you're arguing that your <clears throat> reputation or, or the, the victim's reputation was um, damaged by these statements.
0: Well, You know what, that, that was actually, you, you just made the most perfect statement for me to go where I was going next. So in the event that somebody goes to law enforcement and makes a false claim and then perpetuates that on the Internet or, as we say, these interstate crimes, Um, so let's take pornography out of it. I recently had a situation uh, that involved myself and a multi-time award-winning journalist of the biggest paper in Oregon called The Oregonian. His name is Les Zakes, and he's Mm -hmm. also... uh, uh, a Pulitzer Prize nominee. I mean, this this guy is a longtime, very well-respected journalist who has been going through the same things and then some that I have. It's a little different because he's a male, uh, but he has been fully doxed and so on and so forth. Now, he and I, we were accused by somebody of putting a hit on them, and in the sense of this woman, in private uh, chat rooms that went public uh, with their accusations after an actual conspiration together with uh, many people in these private chats, uh, which they admitted to, of course, in the YouTube videos. Oh, no, we were in private chat. And so I said, let's do this, you know. (laughs) So, I mean, they love to confess on social media. It's crazy. Um, But they... um, She actually called the police department, she made up a phony story. The police department, or the sheriff's department of her county in Florida, uh, the the sheriff's department literally did not even take a a sheriff's report, an incident report, it wasn't even on the sheriff's blotter. I got the actual call log for the 911 call, yep, she called. And she said a whole bunch of things. They found zero evidence to substantiate anything, including from her children that were in the home, uh, one of which is a 16-year-old teenager. There was an adult male there because they have somebody listed with a comment as her spouse, although she's not married and her boyfriend was at his own home in another state. So I don't know who that adult male was that proclaimed to be her spouse. But ultimately, the sheriff's department has her listed as SIG-20, which means a mental health issue. And um, so nothing was taken serious, but she literally tried to make a false police or sheriff's report uh, to set us up. Now when she put said in her private chats, shots were fired at my house, like in real time as it was really happening, okay, she was working up her little crowd the immediate responses from people were to, oh, you have to put that out in media and in social media and bl- put the blame on Sherry Roberts and Les States. So now we're talking about involving law enforcement into this particular scenario. Sure. Can you explain how that works, yep. Fred? Well, but
1: I, that, I think I just go back to what I earlier said, where individuals are with absolutely no evidence, one assumes, with absolutely no evidence, Um. Suggesting that people make a false statement to law enforcement, that's a very serious thing. I mean, that is the kind of thing that gets people in more trouble in some ways than the original offense would have been, right? I mean, in a lot of these political situations, and you know without picking sides on any of this, this is this is the challenge that you know Secretary Clinton faces with respect to the FBI investigation into the whole email fix, you know, the, the whole email scenario, that that they're going to be interviewed by the FBI. And regardless of whether or not she was subsequently authorized to do what she did, if she makes a false statement to the FBI, that becomes the much bigger deal. And that's the real risk. And in, in the scenario that you're describing, you know, obviously people are, are urging someone else to do this. Um, if that individual did so, they would be potentially liable for making a false statement.
0: Well, you know, I'm actually glad you said that because you reminded me to tell the audience. Uh, Mark Sage, uh he is the national security attorney for NDC, uh, one of the most prominent ones. He's on television all the time. Uh, he's, a lo- he's a longtime friend and recurring guest on the show. He's coming on, I believe. We're still tightening that up, but not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday, the 25th, Brad, specifically, uh, part of the show specifically about, you know, an update on what's going on with the Clinton email stuff, I would invite you to join us for that, because I have not had both you and Mark on, and you're friends. I've not had you both yeah. on a, on yeah. the same show, and that's a perfect topic for you both to, to come on to, so Please mark your calendar if you're free. But to, to, to talk about what you're talking about right now, so I'm going to use YouTube's terms of service uh, and their policies as an example here, uh, because a lot of this stuff happens uh, in, in, you know, uh, on YouTube or via videos and 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 stuff like that, because people want to show stuff, and that is a an arena, uh, you know, it's it's like our modern day Roman Coliseum here. Sure. Uh, in order to do mm-hmm. so, so. Uh, Let's let's we, we know, um, I mean, I can tell you right now that uh, 47 U.S. Code uh, 223 is about harassing, and that's not just harassing face-to-face. That is cyber harassing, interstate harassing, sure. and now you have a federal crime. And then we also have um, 18 U.S. Code 2261A, which is the, the stalking, and almost all states uh, consider cyber stalking in the same veins as face-to-face stalking. So aside from those things, which these very people are doing in, in all their their harassment, their doxing, their bullying, and all of that, um, and just so the listener knows, usually cyberbullying ten, tends to be used for more minors and children and cyberstalking for adults. Uh, that can cross over, but those are usually how the terms are used on a legal basis. But YouTube, on top of the state and federal laws that do apply to all their users, Their harassment uh, policy says, harassment may include abusive videos, comments, messages revealing someone's personal information, i.e. doxing, maliciously recording someone without their consent, deliberately posting content in order to humiliate someone, making hurtful and negative comments, videos about another person, unwanted sexualization which encompasses sexual harassment or sexual bullying in any form, any age. YouTube and harmful or dangerous content and threats, they say, that things like predatory behavior, stalking, threats, harassment, intimidation, invading privacy, revealing other people's personal information, and inciting others to commit violent acts or to violate the terms of use are taken very seriously. Anyone that's caught doing these things may be permanently banned from that platform. And so here's what's important about that, because it's, it's about intent. So... Um, Let's talk about that. Intent means the intent of the activity itself, and that means which is where capturing the full data as it exists for those that are being victims of this is very important. So POST itself, or video itself may not necessarily violate a term of uh, service or the law, however, the intent behind it can. It it can change depending on the editorial content, which means whatever their description and their titling is or whatever they have in the overlay comments, as well as the comments that follow and what they reflect and the specific intent as outlined than are the arbitrators, and that means that one of the issues that make Internet threats so insidious is that others who hear or read this free speech, this quote-unquote free speech, may interpret it differently, and that may mean that they're going to interrupt, inter- interpret it as a threat or of violence or as a call to violence and be influenced to act out. And guess what? According to both state and federal crimes as well as your platform's terms of service, and this goes beyond YouTube for all of you listening, whether you're participating or you are a victim, Okay. There are many laws in place here and the people that are perpetuating these things when it originates with them they are responsible according to state and federal laws they are responsible for what they incite and for those of you that are listening and participating in any way and and you have found me in my show because of the oregon standoff or the bundy ranch events let me remind you how many co-defendants there are with that very charge of inciting go ahead fred
1: <laughs> well Jerry, honestly it's hard to know where that's done but
0: anywhere yeah, you like
1: <laughs> okay well here's the thing all right so what what you're really getting at here with respect to intent is a, a legal standard that's known as mens rea and in order for someone to be convicted of a crime they have to the, the prosecutor has to show mens rea, sort of the mind of the thing. And, and the point of that is that the prosecutor has to go beyond mere accident or indifference or what have you. The prosecutor has to show that the criminal act was intended in order to successfully prosecute someone. What people need to keep in mind is that there is a difference between criminal prosecution which carries the deprivation of life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness and a contractual relationship. And anybody who is using a social media platform is participating in a contractual relationship between themselves and the social media platform. And that is not a criminal standard. It's not even a civil standard. It's not even beyond a preponderance of the evidence or beyond, you know, whatever it's, it's, it's just whatever the platform says, you know? so, so right. You know, so there's a very low bar for a social media service to jettison somebody from their service. And what this brings us to, Sherry, honestly, is this, this enduring confusion between free speech and permitted speech. When we are dealing with public spaces, when we are dealing with efforts by the government to restrict our speech, we're dealing with the First Amendment. And the First Amendment says the government shall make no law bridging the freedom of speech. Government shall make no law. As much as they resemble it sometimes, YouTube and Google and Facebook are not the government. They are private corporations. <laughs> that have created a service that is largely provided for free. And if I could verbally do all caps, I would, for free, that we use. And it looks like a public space, but it's not. It's a contractual space. And that's the problem that people, or, or that's the point that people often overlook. Merely because words are coming out of your mouth, does not mean that you're engaging in free speech. That's not the way it works. Free speech depends on the situation in which those words are being uttered. And if you are uttering them and the government is trying to stop you, you can use the First Amendment. Otherwise, you're on your own. And the rules of civil conduct and contractual obligation apply.
0: Exactly. And of rant. And <laughs> Right, right, and it's funny because with social media, we tend to you know social media allows us to embed a post or a tweet into wherever we want to embed it, so uh there are certain things in social media and certain things that you do that you know that public has access to it, and including uh, you know when you put your pictures up, it doesn't mean the public can use my picture without my permission, um, but they're there and available uh The thing is is that oh. people. Go
1: ahead. I'm, well, no, I don't mean to interrupt you, but you're segueing into an entirely different situation, which is, you know, the, you know, what you're doing really, I think, is you're transitioning from words that people create to their appropriate use of other people's words and other people's images. And that gets us well, into what- intellectual property and copyright.
0: Right, except I wasn't necessarily going there. What I was going to say is that within their free speech, they they tend to think that um, anything that they have access to that they can use. And so where I was actually segueing to is more privacy rights themselves. Um, And so... Yes, we, we, we I opened the show talking about copyright, particularly to do with these platforms like YouTube and blogs and stuff that are using other, I mean, because you know what a lot of YouTubers will do is they'll like go to my stories that I write on my website, my, my news articles or someone else's news articles, whether it's big or small or legacy media, it doesn't matter. They'll go and it's called mirroring and basically they screencast and they'll scroll through the article so that their listeners can read it while some background music or something's going on, or while they're just talking about it, but they're, screw- they're using it, that's their entire show, is your article in its entirety. And there are copyright laws that, that involve that. But my point in, in this is when we're talking about the privacy issues, because let's talk a little bit about actual doxing. And, mm-hmm. um, and sure. I want to talk about doxing uh, kind of on a couple different levels, and we don't have much time left. But I want to talk about doxing and the effect of one of the things that has bothered me about the things that I see is that when people do their doxing, they involve whoever their target is, their children. So back to the kids thing, and that's endangering children. Because, again, if you have – um, you know, if you have somebody that's got a show, as they call them, or whatever on YouTube, and, and, and they got their thing and they have their followers, they have no control. They're not vetting who these people are. And they're saying stuff to get their hits and clicks and to be you know, all the sensational stuff and bombshell as their, you know, titles or whatever, or breaking news when it broke months ago or whatever the case, you know. But the thing is, is that in, in the doing of this, they – They'll put pictures of whoever their target's children is, or say their names, mm-hmm. or even in my case right. with my kids, they were it was their initials. Um, but the the threat is there. They're they're trying to extort you and blackmail you to stop being existing. Existing really is what it is. Existing, <laughs> okay. Um, but they're involving children, and I think that this is an across-the-board message. So can you talk on that on the on how that works when the threats are there and and there is that kind of extortion angle to it that it's being; those threats are being used to stop somebody from existing online, basically. Yeah, I mean,
1: look, I, you know, honestly, Sherry, this will come as no great shock to you. You've talked to Mark on a lot of these different issues. People right. will go to extraordinary lengths to silence those that they oppose, and you know, I think that there's 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 an especially deep circle of hell, if you will, for, for people who would involve children. You know, I just think that that's beyond the pale. And, you know, putting aside whether or not the adult in question is the actual, you know, is, is actually a public figure, right? I mean, in a lot of cases, these are not public figures. They're private individuals who have no public profile, and, and they're being attacked in this vicious way. So, look, I mean, you, you've ably explained the concept of doxing, where people are, are trying to extract private records or private documents from various locations, make them available to other people so that the victim can be harassed by hundreds, if not thousands of people. It is <laughs> Oh, there's a whole group become... of
0: people that – I have to tell you, there's a whole group of people. So, I, I mean, I forgot to tell you this, but it's important maybe in your response – there's a whole group of yeah. people, and it has nothing to do with me per se. Um, it's just something I caught wind of and saw some videos about uh, that, that they did and others did in, re- in response to it. But um, apparently some people are creating some crowdfunding, okay, crowdfunding sites uh, to create a bounty, a bounty to pay people to do this.
1: That's just, that's just crazy. I mean, well, and, and the, you know, we go back to this idea. of footprint. But it's real. Now, you remember? No, of yeah. course it is. I'm sure it is. But But you remember how we were talking about even with children having a digital footprint, you know, and how problematic that can be. You know, in the computer forensics and digital investigation work that I do, Sherry, one of the things uh-huh. that I am constantly amazed by is how good law enforcement tools have become. At tracking down people who are doing inappropriate things online, their their tool set is phenomenal. And if people are going to go to the extraordinarily silly length of actually advertising their criminal behavior, that just makes law enforcement's job that much easier. It it just it, it, it is a little yeah, it's a little mind blowing that you would be that open about it. It's like running. You know, God forbid they used to do this, but it's like running a child pornography site with a .com address. Are you kidding me?
0: Right, but you know what the problem is, Fred, is there is like some very strange mental disconnect that I'm not quite sure how it's happening. But the, most of the people that are actually perpetuating some of these things that we talked about tonight, uh, like people that yeah. I've either had first-hand experience doing it to me or um, first-hand experience as far as in my research and watching the, these, and it seems that there are very specific groups that do this. And then, of course, they go and make videos and say they don't do it while they do it within the same video. But <laughs> uh, the yeah. thing is is that, right. that this is this is like literally happening on on a continuum and so, you know, uh, real quick, I want to I wanna let the listeners know while I'm thinking about this because we are talking about using this as, as leverage against somebody, which is extortion. Okay, this is coercion, which right. is extortion. And interstate extortion, so we're talking federal crimes, people. By the way, if you don't want to listen to state and federal and you're on YouTube doing this, YouTube also has a zero-tolerance policy for extortion and or blackmail, FYI. They also have a, a policy against defamation. So... Um, you know these people the thing is is they seem to think that they are immune and and that is the mental disconnect that I'm getting at it doesn't matter what the laws are something in their makeup And it's amazing how many of them there are. There is something in their makeup that somehow they think they're right. I mean, people think that the term public domain means because I wrote an article yesterday. No, it doesn't. I have copyright on that article. You can't go and post my whole article and then, oh, by the way, give me a link at the end without my permission. But they do that and they try to claim public domain or fair use. And there are very specific fair use is somewhat looser, but not even so. Public domain, I mean, you got a whole lot of, I need to be dead or it's got to have, be a whole lot of years, you know what I mean? But they have that, mis- yeah. the same with the copyright. They have that whole mindset. Can you address that part of it as far as, they, I mean, <laughs> you are the expert. You're real. Can you explain to them that this stuff is not what they think?
1: Yeah, look. They're I, not you know, there's, there's an entire, there's an entire, There's an entire series of shows we could do on intellectual property, Sherry. It's a complicated topic, and it deserves a long conversation. That being said, yes, what people do need to understand is, in fact, that you can be both criminally and civilly liable for copyright violations. There are criminal penalties, there are criminal statutes for theft of intellectual property. And if someone is doing it on a repeat basis, they're doing it blatantly, um, they're more, most likely profiting off it in some ways through advertising or clicks or what have you, then they do have some criminal exposure in that sense. The, the concept of fair use is, is one of those mythologies that is out there. Yes, it, there is such a thing as fair use for the purpose of explication Uh, criticism, parody, things like that. But it doesn't give you permission to use somebody's entire work. You can only use a tiny portion of it, just enough to make your point. And then if you go beyond that, then theoretically the copyright holder can file some kind of civil action to enforce the copyright. Now, you get into a little bit of a cat and mouse, whack-a-mole kind of situation. It gets very hard to enforce that, and that is a problem, which is one of the reasons that the Digital uh, Millennium Copyright Act gives the copyright holder the right to file a takedown notice with any web service or Internet service provider that is hosting the content. So theoretically, somebody could lose their website if they continue to violate copyright. Because the, right. the copyright holders can ask that access to their website be taken down.
0: And it's the same thing for, um, you know, people that use platforms, whether it's WordPress for blogs or Blogger or whatever, or YouTube. Um, YouTube, again, as an example, many of the people that participate in this sort of stuff have multiple accounts. They have all these backup accounts, just like people have all their sock puppets and backup accounts on other social media. And so it's almost a game to them. There's almost an arousal factor there. Um, You know, it's, it's really rather interesting, and you're right, when it comes to those kind of issues, that's up its own show uh, to to talk about, you know, like true blue, you know, copyright stuff. But let let's talk about uh, be, while I still have you, and we only have a couple minutes. I know a couple people, myself included, who have gotten very real death threats. Um, I've gotten death threats. I've gotten rape threats. I won't even repeat on air because it's PG-13 tonight. I won't repeat the, the verbatim the the very heinous kind of threats that I've had. I'm a woman, so they come at me a little bit differently. But I I do want to use as an example uh, Mark McConnell, who's been uh, on my show about three times now, who was the driver of Ammon Bundy's vehicle when Ammon Bundy got arrested in the Oregon standoff. He has been labeled a fed because he wasn't arrested, blah, blah, blah. And the people listening, uh, you know, will have some semblance of what I mean. But the reality is, is even just a couple days ago, there are people that are posting his picture saying this man needs to die, put a bullet through his head, all these sorts of things. And it's being shared hundreds of times, if not more, just, you know, in that day or week on social media and then propagated from there. There's been video, videos on YouTube and elsewhere made about this man. I mean, very real death threats, okay, for, to me, to him, to other people uh, that have nothing that I've never met before in my life, um, that's not free speech, Fred. Um, that, is, that becomes at some point a criminal act. And again, for, and, and I'll let you address that because you know the laws better than I do, but I do want to say to the listeners, I cannot stress enough, that if you're, if you're the one that posted that and that man actually gets killed, then the way that the federal and state laws you're the one that instigated it. you are the one that incited it. You hold some responsibility, Fred, can you talk on actually making very real death threats and rape threats
1: yeah i, I gosh honestly sherry i mean yes there is there is a there is a a, a crime out there in terms of of instigation it's devilishly hard to prove. It, it right. really is. It's, I, I want That's to my accurate.
0: documentation. Wait, so, well, hold on a minute. Right. So the listeners are hearing that have been victims of this um, or or have never, but you're curious and want to protect yourself. When these things happen, you don't necessarily want to engage with any of these people, but what you do want to do is you want to document everything, whether it's phone calls or emails or texts or videos or whatever. And I'll let everybody know that, uh, a, a quick and easy way to just capture all the, at least the audio uh, from a YouTube video. Just use Clip Converter. Go to clip for, cl- clipconverter.cc and you can, you can do that for there for your sake. Uh, obviously, don't do that to any kind of child pornography like some of these people do. <laughs> but there are right. things. It's all about documentation. And if you have the appropriate documentation, that is where you have your case. Unfortunately, sometimes these people mess with people like myself or less Safe who are like documentation freaks because we're journalists. So, uh, but for the people that that don't typically understand the documentation process, uh, documenting things in their original form is in, is crucial. Go ahead, Fred.
1: Well, that's that's absolutely true. Look, you know, the, if 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 a criminal assault is committed, the individual who commits the assault is obviously primarily responsible. But you know, to <laughs> the extent that other people have egged that person on or encouraged them or in some way facilitated it, then yes, you could get some kind of incitement to crime charge. You could theoretically get a criminal conspiracy depending on their level of involvement. The one thing like providing
0: somebody's address?
1: Well, theoretically, depending on whether there's a nexus between the individual. I mean there's, you're delving into a very complicated area of the law, um, so right. I, I, I want to be very cautious about that. I would say that you're absolutely right. That exposure is there, but it's also very challenging to prove that a specific statement led to a specific harm, Okay. So that's Well, that's I would the tell I would challenge
0: you back and I would challenge you back and I'll give you the last 60 seconds before I do the close. I would challenge <laughs> you back and a lot of the particular cases the nexus is easy to prove because not only are they doing all these multiple confessions online But these same groups of people, um, and I know that there are a couple groups of people that might assume I'm immediately talking about just them or them in particular, but it's way beyond you. I see this everywhere. This is what I do, particularly for my other show, Sickness of Silence. And so... Um, especially on the kid issue, uh, as Fred knows, uh, the thing is is that these groups, it seems very, very easy to prove the nexus because they all have their own individual shows and they all co-host each other's shows and they're all talking about the same thing and doing the same thing And then when they're in, as well as in the comments as well. But when they're all co-hosting, it's the same show. It's just someone else's channel every time. See what I mean? The nexus is easy to prove.
1: Right. And what you're getting at there, Sherry, potentially is this concept of a, um, of a, a RICO, you know, a racketeering-influenced corrupt organization, which is an extraordinarily broad, even unconstitutionally broad statute, but that doesn't mean it can't be used. I mean, essentially what I foresee happening, and, and this is utter speculation on my part, but that, that there would potentially be a use down the road of RICO – much in the same way that they went after the quote-unquote mob as we used to think of it, now they'll be going after the small M mob that is threatening all of these lives online. That's a, that's a realistic possibility because I think that overall the tolerance for this kind of behavior is diminishing rapidly, and I think that people recognize that there is a profound social harm that needs to be addressed. And when that happens, the government will put resources into law enforcement, they will start looking at the statutes, they will draft new ones. This kind of behavior will not be tolerated. It is absolutely uncivil, and a reasonable society can't function if this is what's going to happen.
0: Exactly. Fred, thank you so much for coming on the show. We're down to the last few seconds, so if you've missed any part of tonight's show or any of the others, you can find the archives here on Blog Talk Radio or on the website at challengingtherhetoric.news. Uh, thanks so much for listening. I, I Please share the show. This was a very important show, and Fred, we're going to talk about this some more. Everybody have a great uh, night, and I'll be back again on Wednesday.